people said, praise the Lord. Thank you, Max. Thank you, team. Well, if I can get my breath back now. This is a breathtaking song. <laughs> Thank you. Well, Mac, now I know that when I'm trying to come up with some profound theological thought, I can say, oh, <laughs> and get away with it. <laughs> this is the best profound thoughts I've had. <clears throat> is Leslie here today? Leslie, are you here today? Huh? God bless you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your life with us. I was thinking all week with this very difficult passage, and I'm going to show you why it's difficult for me. As I said, if somebody would come to me and said, Michael, I've never been angry. Um, I think what I would want to do is feel your pulse <laughs> to see if you're alive. Because I think all of us know about anger. In fact, there are certain issues in the Scripture that I am of a, of more of an expert than other things. I've got to confess this to you right away. I'm an expert on this subject. When it comes to anger, short fuse, short temper, call it whatever you want to call it. We name it all kinds of things just to kind of make it nice. I can tell you that I'm an expert. Now, if you're visiting with us, we are in the middle of a series of messages entitled, Appropriating the Happiness That Is in You. And in the first message, we saw the first, of how to appropriate that happiness that is in you, that is, blessed are you from the beatitude, makarios, as we saw in the Greek, that happiness that's already in you because Jesus is in you, for those who are in Christ Jesus. The first in appropriating of that happiness is being salt of the earth. And the second, we saw the second appropriation is being the light of the world. And in the last message, we saw it's being law-abiding or law-obeying. And here, fourthly today, we're going to see controlling of anger. Controlling of anger. Now, you notice I did not say getting rid of anger. Did you hear that? I didn't say getting rid of anger, but controlling anger. But getting rid of anger would be wonderful. And some of you understand this but better than others. In fact, if you read any of my books, you know I testify in my books to the glory of God and my own shame uh, that I used to have this short fuse. And if I did not respond in anger, I would respond with really cutting sarcasm, calculated 
sarcasm. Back in 1972, I heard about a ministry of deliverance. We don't hear much about deliverance ministry these days, which is good. Um, but then I thought, you know, this was basically, is I'm going to get zapped, and now I'm going to get over that anger, over that short fuse, over that short temper that I had. I really did. Oh, that's what deliverance is. They're going to lay hands on me, man. It's going to be over. <laughs> but it did not work out that way, let me assure you. I'll never forget the day when I went on all fours before God. I went on all fours. And I said, God, I can't serve you with this kind of sin hanging in my life. Cried out to God for deliverance. And he answered my prayers, <laughs> but not in the way I wanted <laughs> Another in the way I expected. The Lord continued, started then and continues now. I never want to say I'm, I made it because even the Apostle Paul said, I don't claim to have made it. <laughs> but the first lesson was one of the hardest lessons in my life. And then God continued for the following 47 years or so with more hard lessons, more and more day after day after day after day after day. It began by a man whom I knew, well, I found out that he wanted to hurt me deeply. He wanted to ruin my future. And I was angry at this man. And the first thing the Lord said to me, here's your first lesson, Michael. Invite him to dinner, not at a restaurant, in your house. I said, Lord, do you know what you're saying? <laughs> you know how sometimes we think kind of we, we, we got this? And the Lord said, invite him to dinner at your house. Even though the man did not succeed, and I knew he did not succeed, but nonetheless the anger was lingering in me. And so that was the first of many, many, many lessons that the Lord has taught me and continues to teach me. I won't get into the details, but I want you to fast forward five years from that time. Five years. We become fast friends. Even though he was 20-plus years my senior, he would call me for advice. And I was, with God's grace, able to help him out of a jam. And I really came to understand what the Lord is trying to say here, what the Lord is saying, not trying to say what the Lord is saying, in Matthew 5, 21. At least I did. And I know some of you can testify to this. In the last message, I hinted that those preachers who are running around saying, the Ten Commandments are outmoded, the Ten Commandments are out of date, the Ten Commandments don't apply, let's just forget them or replace them with the Sermon on the Mount. Remember that I said in the last message? Either they don't know what's in the Sermon in the Mount, <laughs> or they hope that their audience don't know what the Sermon in the Mount. Because on the, in the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord Jesus Christ was not lowering the bar of the commandments. He raised the bar. <laughs> he made it harder. Why? Because He's the only one who kept the Ten Commandments perfectly, and He's the only one who can take all our sins, and He took them on the cross. Remember I told you that God the Father is the author of the Ten Commandments? In Exodus 20, God spoke 
all these words and said. And God the Son is the authenticator of the Ten Commandments. Let's look at these very closely. This particular one here is in Matthew 5, 21 to 26. And if you don't have your own Bible and you're not averse to touching the pew Bible, it's, uh, I think it's clean. It's, it's page 1509, uh, 1502, sorry, 1502 in the pew Bible, page 1502, Matthew 5, 21 to 26. <clears throat> I'm still trying to get my breath, so I'm going to ask you to stand up, and I'm going to let you read the passage so I can catch my breath from that song. (laughs) Okay, here you go. You have... Father, you know that without your pure grace, I wouldn't be able to stand behind this pulpit. And so I pray for your grace, not only to salt my words, but for the Holy Spirit to take hold of them and make them His, so that they may encourage, bless, motivate, uplift your children. In Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Be seated, please. I think most of us know that anger takes many forms. Uh, In fact, anger wears many faces. Anger is an emotion that's interwoven in many aspects of our lives. Anger ranges from a slight irritation to a full-blown, uncontrollable rage. But I need to hasten to say that all unrighteous anger, listen carefully, all unrighteous anger, you say, is there a righteous anger? Yes, I'm going to come to that. All unrighteous anger stems from pride and self-righteousness. When we don't get our way, when someone criticizes us, whether fairly or unfairly, it really in the end doesn't make any difference, or when we get overlooked or feel being undermined, this all stems from prideful anger, self-righteous 
anger, and it must be nipped in the bud and placed in the wounded side of Jesus. Can I get an amen? How? By openly confessing it and asking for God's strength to repent of it. Remember I said He already took all of our sins on, his cro- on the cross, on His body. See, the sooner you do this, the better off you are. Because of the seriousness of that issue of anger, I personally believe this is why our Lord Jesus Christ starts with that command, the commandment, thou shalt not murder. He starts with it because it's a very serious issue. As I said in the last message, the rabbis made a mess of the Ten Commandments. I mean, they added to them. They are, uh, undermined them. They came up with some more stuff that, to the point of the, well over 600 additions to the Ten Commandments. And so the purpose of the coming of God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ from heaven, is to show us the original intent of God the Father of these Ten Commandments. He wanted to show us the original intent. God the Son wanted us to know what the fa- God the Father meant by each of these commandments. Uh, God the Son was letting us know that these are not, listen carefully, these are not mechanical set of rules. Bum, 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 bum. No, 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 no. The, these, the, these are not mere cold and calculated ordinance but rather they are the reflection of God's character. They are the reflection of God's character. That's how our Lord Jesus Christ was explained. That is why He and He alone was able to obey all of them all the time without breaking one. And that is why all of us who know and love Jesus can only make it to heaven by hanging on His coattail. He's the only one who can get you to heaven. And that is why we will see here today, and in the coming few weeks, this applications of these commandments, controlling anger, proper sexual conduct, marriage relationships, stewardship, worry, anxiety, all of that. These are Jesus' application of the commandments. Today, He tells us that all premeditated murder, all of them start with anger. Uh, He tells us that the root of wanton destruction of life emanates from selfish anger. That the very first murder that took place in the Bible, it was anger by Cain and jealousy of his brother Abel, and he killed him. Make no mistake about it. There are some politicians today who are fanning anger. You see that on the news every night. But let me hasten to say that when God said in Exodus chapter 20, verse 13, you shall not murder, (laughs) he was not referring to capital punishment or the act of authority in exercising their authority. Or it's even war, because in war you're not angry at that person, you are fighting for your country. Why am I saying this? Because later on, the Bible said that when someone sheds the blood of another, 
the authorities must make that person pay with his own life. Hear me right. In explaining the original intention, the commandments, our Lord Jesus said, all murder stems from selfish anger. And that is why, beloved, listen to me, that is why I say that with a broken heart, but I believe that with every ounce of my being, that is why abortion is the most selfish act of all. And I'm talking about wanton abortion. I'm not talking about saving a a mother's life. I'm talking about just recreational abortion. It's the most selfish act of all. But I hasten to say it is not irredeemable. Like all sins, when you bring them to the blood of Jesus Christ and you confess and you repent, He will forgive you. Can I get an amen? Now, the most important thing I always remind you of doing this is to place yourself among those people sitting on that little hill. Those of you who travel to Israel, you know, they call Mount Beatitude. You know, it's a little really kind of grassy knoll. Uh, they built a church there to mem- commemorate that. But just you're sitting there on that grassy knoll, and you're listening to Jesus. And you are either a Pharisee or a disciple of Pharisees, and you're listening to Jesus talking about the Ten Commandments. And before he gets to this point, you, you, you're patting yourself on the back. Oh, I'm a good boy. <laughs> I am really good. I, I, I have never killed anybody. I, I'm very good. I'm righteous. That's called self-righteousness. I've never murdered anyone. I kept the law of God. And Jesus said, he's a Yusuf translation, not so fast, not so fast. Let me explain to you the Father's original intent of these commandments. He's saying that because anger is the ghost that is always lurking in the dark in every murderer's heart, and because God is interested as much in the ghost as he is concerned about the murder itself, you need to deal with anger. You need to deal with anger. I want to give you an outline because I can easily get carried away. These outlines are actually designed to discipline me to help you. So I've got three things I want to show you here from these verses. In verses 21 and 22, he says that anger destroys, that destroys the person who's angry. Secondly, in verses 23 and 24, he says, anger desecrate your worship. And thirdly, he is saying anger devastate relationships. First of all, anger turns on the angry person and destroy him or her. Here's what Jesus said. You have heard it said, you shall not commit murder. But I say to you, now I want you to miss, and now most of you have not missed this, but some of you may have, so I want you to listen carefully. You have heard it said, that's what my father said, but I say to you, you notice the equality between the father and the son? God the father and God the son are equal. 
They have coexisted before the foundation of the earth. As a matter of fact, the very reason why Jesus was crucified on the cross is because He made Himself, they said, equal to the Father. And so, you've heard it said, and I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother shall be guilty. Now, in the Greek language, there are two words for anger. Two words. One word is thamos. Um, it's the quick anger. <laughs> it's like lighting a match to a dry straw. Burns quickly and then stops. It's like the anger that kind of blazes up and quickly dies down. Now, I'm not minimizing that. I remember somebody said that to me one time. He said, oh, I just might get angry very quickly, and, and it's all over. I said, yeah, so is a shotgun. You can pull a, a, a trigger, and it's all over, but then it's going to do a lot of damage. But there is a second word in the Greek language called orge, <coughs> which means the smoldering anger. Some of you know what I'm talking about. I'm seeing elbow flying all over the place. Smoldering anger. This is the type of anger that you cuddle and you keep warm in your bosom. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? This type of anger is brooding and brooding and brooding. And every time that person's name comes up and you go, mm, and you get stomach cramps. It's the type of anger that you would never allow to die down. The word oge is the one that's used here. That's what the Lord is talking about. That smoldering anger. Please hear me right. God the Son corrects the false understanding of the commandments and the intention of the commandments by God the Father that the Pharisees have made of. And He's telling them, that murder has deeper roots. It has deeper roots. Murder originates from a heart, not from a hand. <laughs> that murder starts with angry thoughts. That murder starts with selfish, prideful motive. And Jesus is saying these, to these self-righteous Pharisees, He's saying to them, righteousness is not only external. Righteousness is not just on the surface. Righteousness is not only when people are watching. No. A person guilty of murder when he or she nurses their anger, when he or she hates with intensity, when he or she start maligning. And while murder, the act of physical murder is judged in the civil courts, the anger is judged in the heavenly courts. Now you understand why. In 1972, I went on my face before God and surrendered that to the blood of Jesus Christ, who already carried my sins anyway. Why? Because smoldering anger leads to murder. God takes smoldering anger very, very seriously. Why? Because unless you stop anger in its tracks, it will lead to murder, at least in the heart. Because unless you pull up the anger like weed by the roots, 
That's why the Bible talks about the roots of bitterness. It's underground. You can't see it. It's not the fruit that you see on the tree. It's underground. And unless you pull them by the roots, it's going to get worse. I read a story about a, a notorious mass murderer. Back in 1931, he was caught. Um, a two-gun, two-gun Crawley was his name. And uh, the police, after they arrested him, they found a note from him to his girlfriend. And uh, the note, the message reads as follows. Under my coat is a weary heart, but it's a good one. <laughs> yeah, I've got a good heart. We have a president who desecrated the Oval Office, and they lied about it. And he says, we brought a bunch of preachers in the East Room, and he said, I have a good heart. I have a good heart. Today, many people try to exonerate criminals. They're saying, oh, deep down, they're really good. (laughs) Groups like the ACLU are trying to convince us that criminals are really not bad people. They don't. They're not bad people. Uh, Today, a person can commit two crimes, and he looks at somebody who committed ten, and says, you see, I'm not as bad as he is. That's the tragedy and the tragic situation we find ourselves in today. Jesus tells us about two people, two people. One is a Pharisee, religious guy. I mean, he's very religious, kept all the external stuff. And the other one is a sinner, publican. And they both went to the temple to worship. And the Pharisees almost got a tennis elbow from patting himself on the back. Yeah, you know what I mean? Oh, I thank thee, Lord, I'm not like this guy, and I've done this, and look what I've done for you, God. I've done this, and I've done this, and I've done the other thing. And Jesus said, the publican pounded on his heart. He said, forgive me, a sinner. And Jesus said, it's that repentant sinner who went home justified before God. Now, beloved, not only anger destroys physically, but destroys your personhood. Verse 22, being angry with another person, saying raka to him, calling him a fool, is very serious in God's eyes. Now, by the way, the word raka is untranslatable. I checked it out. I looked at every Hebrew dictionary that I have. It's just untranslatable in in English. But I can tell you that it represents all forms of verbal abuse. Are you with me? It represents all forms of treating others with contempt. It represents all forms of of contempt, whether it be verbally or non-verbally, because I know there are some contempt that are non-verbal. How many of you know that? As a matter of fact, I heard about the pastor who took up golf. Now, I know all the golfers are groaning. I said, oh, Michael is going to get on his hobby horse about golfers. Now, I love you. I'm just jealous (laughs) because I can't play. I mean, if I'm not going to play something well, I'm not going to do it. So, that's why I I tried it a few times, John. He took me up there, and I gave it up. So I, I'm, I'm just jealous. That's all. You, don't, don't get upset with me. But this particular pastor started, <clears throat> and he really 
got good at it. I mean, he was so good, and he's, he was invited to uh, play in tournaments. I mean, that's how good he got. And so, one in one of these uh, tournaments, uh, when his turn came to begin the opening round, he confidently placed the ball in the tee, on the tee, and, uh, and he took his club in a position to bat the hit, and right at that moment, his caddy sneezed. Now, only golfers understand this. Now, the pastor became totally distracted, and he literally topped the ball uh, miserably, and it dribbled just forward a few yards from the tee. He didn't say anything. He just clinched his fist, and he bit his lip, and he glared at the poor embarrassed caddy. Didn't speak, didn't say anything. His opponent said to him, Reverend, this is the most, profound, the most profane silence I've ever heard. <laughs> verbal and nonverbal abuse is judged as sin in the courts of heaven. And the only way to deal with it is to repent of it and place it under the blood of Jesus. So anger is destructive. Secondly, I want to tell you that anger desecrates worship. You say, Michael, how can that be? Well, I'm, thank God I don't make the rules. <laughs> i just tell you what Jesus said, okay? Jesus said that selfish, brooding, and constant nourished anger inside of you strains your relationship with the Lord. Paul calls this grieving the Holy Spirit. And, beloved, the older I get, the more I grieve when I grieve the Holy Spirit. Please hear me right. We must always interpret the Scripture with, by the Scripture, with the Scripture. So I'm going to hasten to say that not all anger is sin. If you heard that, say amen. amen. Because I want to make sure... I already told you I'm going to come to it, and I'm coming to it now. Not all anger is sin. Not all anger impairs our relationship with the Lord. For example, righteous anger is not sin. Righteous anger against injustice and rebellion against God's moral laws is not a sin. Righteous anger against abusers of children, abusers of women, or anybody for that matter, is a sin. Ephesians 4.26, Paul explained this righteous anger by saying, be angry, but sin not. Be angry, but sin not. Jesus became angry when he saw these money-grabbing people who are making a mess of his father's house, and he kicked them out of his father's house. He kicked them out. Now, you notice, just listen to me, humor me, okay? Just, he's, he's probably, we expect Jesus to do, at least in our culture. Jesus walked up to these guys and said, hey, fellows, I really don't want you, I, I don't want to hurt your feelings. Oh, I don't want to hurt your feelings, but really what you're doing is not good. It's not right. Oh, oh, oh you know, guys, uh, I don't want you to reject me. <laughs> oh, don't reject me. Oh, who wants to be rejected, right? Oh, don't reject me. I don't want to offend you. But this is not good. 
No. In his holy anger, he kicked him out in a Yusuf words, and he said, hit the road, Jack, and come back no more, no more. That's righteous anger. But even with holy anger, it must not cause us to sin or get out of hand. You can certainly be angry at false teachers and, f- and heretical teaching. Uh, you can certainly withdraw fellowship from false teachers. You can certainly be angry at their misleading of so many people. Uh, you can certainly be angry with injustice and with violence. You can certainly be angry with the media's constant use of false narratives. But, listen to me, you and I are not free to hate, period. Can I get an amen? I was telling a brother at the end of last service, there is no one who claimed that Jesus is their Savior and Lord and have hatred in their life. I don't care who is Lord. You can't nurse hatred if you belong to Jesus. You and I are not free to wish anybody ill will. You and I are not at liberty to take matters into our own hands. That will hinder our worship. Listen to me. (laughs) No one who claims to know Jesus as Savior and Lord nurses hatred toward another person. I know that's not very popular. I know. Listen. I honestly don't care what rationale they use. I don't care what explanation they give. I don't care what excuse they have. Hatred is not of the Lord. Remember this. The Jews to whom Jesus was speaking, they were all familiar with how to take care of restoring the breach of their relationship with God when they sinned. They were all familiar. They've done it year after year. They walk through the outer court, into the inner court, up to the rail, the rails, and then they hand their sacrifice to the priest. And that sacrifice is their way of saying, we repent of our sin, and we want to restore our relationship with God. And here, God the Son is saying, therefore, to them and to us, and to us, we need to settle the breach between us and our brothers and sisters in Christ before we can truly settle the breach between us and God the Father. Beloved, let me tell you that if you are hearing these words today. Some of you might be hearing this for the first time around the world. And you have a smoldering hatred in your heart or nursing deep grudge. Or maybe you are sitting uh, on your anger, on your smoldering anger and keeping it warm and you refusing to let go. You will not be able to get rid of that anger with better music or better sermons or 
better communion or better giving. No. The only way to get rid of that persistent anger is by dealing with it. How? If you wrong someone, you ask for their forgiveness. If someone wronged you, you forgive them. Now, don't shoot the messenger. That's what Jesus said. But having said that, the Scripture does not say that you have to agree with that person. You got to get that right, please. You don't have to agree with the person. (laughs) Nobody says anything about agreement here. Uh, The Scripture does not say that you must be cheek by jowl with everybody. Hello. To my knowledge, the Apostle Paul and Barnabas never reconciled after they had, uh, never went on another missionary journey after they had their disagreement over John Mark. But I am absolutely convinced they were reconciled. As a matter of fact, toward the end of his life, Paul said, bring John Mark, for he's helpful to me. They made their peace. They didn't go on missionary journeys together. That's fine. You don't have to agree with everybody, but they're forgiven one another. Please, please, please. Do not confuse agreement with the absolute necessity of disposing of your anger. Listen to what the psalmist said in Psalm 66, 18. He said, if I regard wickedness in my heart, where? His heart. If I regard wickedness, that's if I, I keep it in there, I hold it in there, I nurse it, I never confess it. I never turn my my back on it. The Lord is not going to answer my prayers. It's the Word of God, not me. So, first of all, anger destroys. Secondly, anger desecrates. And thirdly, anger devastates. Verses 25 and 26. Make peace with your opponent while you are on the way to the court. You have to understand that in ancient times, the plaintiff had the authority to arrest the defendant. And the way he does that, he'll take his rope, not rope, robe, and he wrap it around the neck of the defendant, and he take him to court. So if he tries to wiggle out of it, he causes himself to choke. And what Jesus is saying is this. The time of reconciliation is the same as the time for salvation, and it is now. Now. Tomorrow may be too late. Do it now. Please, I plead with you, don't let bitterness and anger and hatred destroy your relationships. Let me tell you a story that took place quite a number of years ago. A young man who was a senior in high school He comes from a very well-to-do family. And graduates in high school from this particular affluent neighborhood have kind of used to getting a car when they graduate from high school. This particular young man was fully expecting the norm would happen to him when he graduates, and he spent months talking about cars and looking at these cars, with, even with his father. And, and just the week before graduation, he and his father were out looking at cars, and they both agreed on what car to get. 
The young man was absolutely certain that he's going to wake up in the morning of graduation and there'll be a car in the driveway. But when he opened the package, the gift that his father gave him, there was a Bible. He became so angry. He became so embittered. He threw the Bible down and stormed out of the house. His anger and bitterness smoldered for years and would not be reconciled with his father and remained estranged until his father died. And when his father died, he was going through his father's things. And he saw the Bible that his father gave him on graduation day. He literally brushed the dust off and he was flipping through the pages of that Bible. And sure enough, to his utter devastation, to his horror, he found a cashier check between the pages of the Scripture. It was dated the day of his graduation, and it was for the exact amount of the car that he and his father were chosen. Beloved, irrational anger and bitterness nearly destroyed this young man. It certainly destroyed his relationship with his father. And so, my beloved friends, as I come to an end, I want you to listen very carefully, please. Listen very carefully. As I said, there are very few issues that I experimentally can testify to. This is one of them. So I'm speaking from my heart. Members of one family, listen to me. Members of one family of God, deal with anger and stop it from smoldering. For nothing will enhance your worship. Nothing will enhance your worship or mend your relationship with the Lord until you reconcile to one another. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. That means deal with it before evening. If you can't reach the person, purpose in your heart that you will take care of it. If the person is dead, you can still do it and ask somebody else, confess it to somebody that's dear and near to you. Resolve here and now to dig up these roots of bitterness by its roots. Get it out. I think you'll be amazed at what the Holy Spirit of God will do in you when you ungrieve the Holy Spirit. Now, I understand this is an issue that may have touched many individuals and families, and, and I'm appealing, appealing to you. I may never know, and I will not know, but I'm appealing to you. I'm pleading with you. You here are watching around the world. This, and I know a lot of people talking about revival and praying for revival, but listen, how can God give us a revival when we, His children, are not faithful in confession and in repentance? This is one of those issues.
Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I'm so grateful that the Apostle Paul tells us that sometimes we don't know how to pray, but the Holy Spirit prays in us. And so this is one of those times that I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, to pray within every one of us. Pray in me. To God the Father, through God the Son, and the power of God the Holy Spirit. That there will be restorations of relationships. That there will be healing of broken hearts and broken lives. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, as you seem to be purging your church, I pray for the remnant that they will come clean with you so that you begin to do your work in us. Begin with me. Begin with me. For I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.